Happy New Year and welcome to another episode of At Home With Leaders, this series that is part of the Leaders Performance Podcast. Its aim is to unearth stories and insights of the top people within high performance as we see the sports industry and high performance evolve. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners and say a big welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you with us. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by Kaiser, who are also the main partner of the Leaders Performance Institute. Kaiser have been changing the world of fitness for over 40 years, and we're proud to have been partnered with them ourselves for nearly a decade. More than 80% of top professional sports teams in the world now train with Kaiser exercise equipment. And if you want to join them, then get in touch with us and a member of the Leaders team so we can make an intro to someone at Kaiser. Alternatively, head to kaiser.com to find out more. In a moment, you'll be able to listen to our conversation with Michael Checker. We discuss the changing landscape of leadership, addressing social issues and the role of creativity within rugby. As you can probably guess, these are the sorts of topics that come up time and time again amongst our network. With this in mind, we've made a few changes here at the Leaders Performance Institute. The world of high performance is evolving and so are we. So if you'd like to find out more about what we're introducing, including our brand new performance communities, as well as our events, content, virtual learning and networking, then please head to leadersinsport.com forward slash performance and join over 700 members at the home of Total High Performance. Now on to today's episode. As always, it's a pleasure to have my co-host from California alongside me once again. It's founder and CEO of Gaines Group. It's Mr. Steve Gear. How are you and how's America today, Steve? America today um, is, is, I know this podcast is going to air a couple of days after we actually uh after you give it, but we're the day after the certification of the election, um, which uh, as, as people you know listening out there um, are pretty aware of, we had an insurrection uh, attempt, and uh, you know it, America is is a is a is a slightly strange place right now. Discussion, it's it's pretty somber and it's uh, pretty serious. I think that the, the great thing about the country is that we have these institutions, and we ha- we do have we do have some leadership, some some solid leadership that, if, if given the light of day, can uh, we'll definitely rebound from this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good to hear you're safe and well, and obviously a lot going on. But um, looking forward to the chat today. And uh, our guest is someone I met back in 2017 in Santa Monica in LA uh, when he attended the PA and he did a session on stage with Steve, actually. It's former Australian Rugby Union head coach and recently appointed Lebanon Rugby League head coach. It's Michael Checker. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, uh, where are you in the world? You're in Sydney, aren't you? Yes, I'm down the bottom of the world here in Sydney. And uh, yeah, I suppose we're, like most things on the world stage, with everything that's going on health-wise at the moment and the ramifications from that, it reverberates out to us probably in a, suppose in a, in a manner that's not as a, as as harsh as is being felt both in the US and and uh, Europe, but you know life has changed without a doubt, and um, it's given for different opportunities for me. Even just if I look at it from one quick thing, travel like I would never have spent so, this long in at home ever. Well, the last twenty years at least, so I've got to meet my kids and uh, live with them on a day-to-day basis, <laughs> teach them. I think I was the principal, actually, not teaching them. But uh, it's been, it's, you can't say it's been good, obviously, because there's people sick. But 
it's allowed me to have a different type of life for a while. Absolutely. Well, we're reflecting a little bit of that um, and great to have you on. Now, we did have a bit of a script to start off this this podcast in a certain way, but, you know, Steve, I know you had a couple of questions you wanted to ask Michael off the bat, so do you want to crack on? Yeah, so, hey, Michael, so um, I, I, I always, I've always appreciated our interactions and our discussions because you, you, you have a lot of interests outside of, outside of sport and outside of rugby, and, uh, and you've always you struck me as, as someone who kind of takes things head on. In light of really, you know, the last year globally, aside from a pandemic, we've also had social unrest. We've had a pretty, pretty enormous shift in the way people live their lives. You know, it's been it's been a hard, hard year to 18 months globally. And, and that affects everyone. Right. That affects and that affects players It affects your players on, on your team. And, and in sport, I've always felt like my experience in the NFL and my experience with um, in the NBA and all the other leagues that I've worked in has always been that I kind of run into two types of coaches. You know, one type of coach who says, we are coaching on the field. That That is my job. That is my responsibility. And as a leader, I'm going to focus on that. And then there's another camp of coaches who embrace what happens off the field and will actually pull it into part of their leadership style and part of their message um, for the poor, for players. And I think that is a big part of a big requisite of leadership is actually being able to like speak to the moment. But I do know sometimes it's like it's coaches are, are reticent to do that. And so that so I understand why that camp does it. But but I'm very curious, like what camp do you kind of exist in? And what, what's your take? Do you think it's a it's a it's a coach's responsibility and job to actually talk about, you know, all of these events that swirl around our players? Well, it's, yeah, it's it's a very interesting question, and it's a, it's been a moving feast over, I would say, you know, the last ten years or so, in particular, as social interaction has changed and the influence of one how the influence of one individual, no matter what they do, can be much greater on a bigger number of people through mm-hmm. social media and different avenues of communication. The question comes down to, the, I think, the type of organisation that you're involved in. Organisations that have uh, an alignment process from the top that um, gives the coach the role of being a coach or a leader of his area. So for me, it's that old discussion around, well, the coach is not necessarily the leader. The coach is the manager and the leader is the leader. Now, some coaching roles you can do both and you are given the, the I suppose, the... Or, the tenure of both, uh, so both leader and the coach, so you're actually being a manager and a leader. And in some roles, it's just the manager, so just the leader, just the coach of the team and making sure the technical parts of the, the game and the team are right. So it depends a lot on how your organisation is structured, if it's structured at all, because there's still a lot of professional sporting teams where this actual question would not be addressed. So the coach, as he or she comes into an organisation, knows up front that in this organisation, this is how, this is what we want our head coach to do. And that sort of then says to you as a coach, okay, yeah, I can flourish in this role um, as a leader and a coach and a manager, or I can, I'll go to the one that I prefer most. I don't think you can be just the leader there are situations that you've seen in rugby now, there's some of that director of rugby stuff. And I think there's the role is either leader and manager, leader and coach, or just coach and someone else handles that part. The other part to this question is the playing group that you you oversee, you know, that you lead. 
if they're affected strongly by social issues that are in place at the time, you've always got to keep your players engaged in, in the vision going forward. And uh, that will include their own thoughts on the outside of the game as well, that whatever game you're playing. So when social issues are affecting them, I believe that they need to be addressed so that you can have the player in their best shape to perform and not have those other burdens or thoughts going through their head and taking away the focus that they need to perform at the highest level on game day. If you're a little less affected by those social issues or not affected at all that are happening wherever it might be, then maybe trying to take a stance on something that doesn't mean something to the playing group as much isn't a good thing. It's been a question in sport for a long time about its role, but I think it's about sizing up the situation, the role you have as the coach or the leader inside of your organisation, and then embracing or st- or um, penning strategy from there. Yeah, no, and, and so I, and I completely agree that, that it's definitely about sizing up the situation and understanding like what things are worth discussing or, or should be discussed in the moment versus which are probably just like ancillary and, and actually like not probably affecting the team at any given point in time. But I wonder like, you know, do, do you think that it, you know, a big part of a coach's responsibility is to create it, it's to set the environment for practice and training um, and to set an environment where like there are no distractions. I mean, I, I don't I mean, I'm, I'm sure, listen, I'm sure you know, across the globe, it, the level of attention that was paid to what happened here in the U- United States um, on January 6th, like varies quite a bit. But I guarantee you, like very few people in the United States had any mental real estate whatsoever um, last night. And there's a lot of mental real estate that's being chewed up right now because you're paying attention to it. You know, it goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You have to give your players a certain level of psychological safety or at least understanding in this context so that you can at least get to work. Would you agree with that? Well, look, when I say that sometimes the coach can be away from it, he in that instance, that coach has to have another person in the organisation that is dealing with those issues, right? So whether it's a director or a football director or a football manager or someone who's, because there has to be a leader of the department. So whether the leader is the actual technical coach or if he's both or just one of those roles, because without a doubt, issues that are, like you said, taking up mental real estate or, you know, the, the fiber optic of performance in, that's going on inside of an athlete's head, that has to always have a smooth direction so that they can under, they can bring a certain frequency to training and to playing that is that one, that of a high performer. So I think that one of the huge things in this is about with coaching in general and leading is about creating a balanced environment for players to perform in. So not ignoring anything and not going over to understanding exactly where the balance is. The main reason why people, coaches wouldn't do this is because they would struggle to deal perhaps with an understanding and coming up with an answer of some of the social issues, you know, and I think that's the key is you don't need to have the answer. You need to create a platform where they can get it off their chest. I've had a few of these big time in my own coaching career uh, here in Australia, you know, where social issues have come out and, and dominated more what we should be doing, which is just playing rugby, right? So just giving a platform for players to have an opinion and also make them understand the opinion of either the governing body or that the team is or the, the private owner or what, why they're taking that stance. 
because they're all representing what is being said. And in big teams where there's big squads, not everyone's agreeing on all social issues. So it's not as simple as saying, let's just make sure we have a say. It's about understanding exactly what your group is, how your group's made up, and then taking a stance accordingly and giving an airing, an opportunity for players to feel, like you said, safe space uh, mentally, psychologically, also a safe place where they can be themselves and have their opinion without it being in contradiction to anything. So, so in, in in light of that, I think that's really interesting. So, is it is it better in a way if the players and the captains maybe address these issues rather than the coach? It's more the coach's role to create the environment when there is that platform for the discussion, right? Well, yeah. If you're asking that, should the coach be saying, "Well, this is the way it should be," you know, this is the uh, uh, setting the direction there. No, and and I think you've, like I said before, it's extreme. I, I believe it's essential for it to have a balanced place inside of what you're there to do right what your purpose is there your purpose there is to play whatever it is inside a team but it's generally going to be focused towards high performing winning titles playing a certain style of game whatever the performance is whatever the purpose is for each different team teams work it out differently and have that out their, their own mission therefore the social influences need to stay balanced inside of that i thought if you look at the way the NBA handled everything over there, I think they had a really good balance. They still were able to make a strong point, but felt very strongly inside of their playing community across not just the at the elite level, but down through into the, the street level, the, the cultural level, the grassroots level, but also still played the game at a high intensity and a high level. In a, It was obviously in a totally different format. Um, the competition and I suppose that the question would be if you went to the players from the Lakers and said do you value this uh, title any less than you value others because it was a different environment but they made uh, they were making also social statements through their sport well I think they'd probably say it's worth more because of that I'm I'm only guessing I suppose because of everything that, that they went through and almost representative of the whole competition when they held up the trophy because of what the competition did in a balanced format, still played great basketball, but also had a very balanced approach to representing the social situation and the feeling of the players that made up with them, you know, of the player, balanced approach to the feelings that made up the thought process of the players that played in that competition. We said before we came on a bit of, you know, it's a lot to reflect on and definitely the role of a coach within the last 12 months has probably been more different than it's ever ever been. But if you look back on, you know, if we pivot slightly, you look back on maybe the last five years, you've been been a coach, um, you know, working at the top of sport, obviously with the Wallabies and a couple of other jobs since, which we'll come on to. You know, what has changed the most in the field of coaching, do, do you think? It's often hard to know what's happened industry-wide because you're not seeing what other coaches are doing. I think that there's a real push And there has been for a while, I suppose, if I looked at one thing that that I feel is influencing a lot when I talk to other coaches and from different sports and inside of the organisations and even former coaches and players that that operate in the media space, and I'm talking both in, in, you know, not just in Australian sports here, like globally, the desire to have an answer for everything, to measure the influence of data and building certain strategy around data, I think that that's... Becoming a bit of a, 
it's a little bit of a, <clears throat> how could I say, a leaning post <clears throat> from what I'm seeing in some coaching where uh, there is certain st- strategy being built around statistical information on teams uh, when it comes to coaching. And th- that can actually become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So if a data says, well, this team suffers at this type of play in this space, etc. If all teams strategize to do that, well, then, yeah, it will happen more often because it's going, you know, you're always attacking that side or that place. So you'll get more results and it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in itself. So I think that's an interesting one. And also, I feel like there's still more focus, there's more and more focus on strategy than on skill development and not just skill development in its raw sense, it's skill development in the situations that players will find themselves in on the field, which are very random. So being comfortable to be able to execute skills in the tight situation, I think there's less of that and there's it and more of strategic, tactical, you know, X's and O's type of coaching. And, and so, Michael, do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing? Do you think that there should be more of an emphasis on, on tactical skill acquisition? Uh, mate, I, I would never, ever presume that I could make a decision that would say, yeah, one way is better than the other because different coaches come with a certain mindset, you know, about how they want to bring their teams up forward. And that shows not just in the way you coach, but also tactically. Some teams will want to play a running style game. Some teams will want to play a kicking style game, more conservative game. And no one is better than the other around what's its value because if that identifies with, the, the history of that club or the identity of that club, then that's the way it's best to play. The skill, I, I think that for me, focusing more on, I've been, you, you go through the waves of what you think and how you can be influenced by others and where you, over time, how you do try and evolve and learn new things and change. And I think I, I've always been one who's looked to try to get skill execution around situational pressure or a certain situation that a player might find themselves in and randomise those as much as possible through in the way of training. And then I've, I've, you obviously have to be a bit more strategic and tactical at different times and set out playing shapes and designs. But at the end of the day, I think most I think that's that caters for a big part of what just happens in the game. And most of the key moments are usually around a player executing uh, his or her skill under pressure or in a very randomised situation that, that they didn't really expect to happen, but they just did it. And um, that and being able to prepare that. I, I suppose it's a little bit like that. you see a lot, of, lot more action around trick shots these days, you know, guys doing tricky things or players doing tricky, tricky things on the field. And I've seen that over time and I'm a huge fan of that type of stuff as long as those tricks are being practised at training. So, you know, you've, I've, I've seen it in teams I've coached and players um, doing certain things that you would go oh, at training and practicing and say, well, if you ever saw that on the field, you fall down, you know. And then when you see it happen on the field, it makes you feel good because you know that players have prepared those trick shots. So it's not just, oh, I'll just do whatever I, 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 whatever I hear without any thought to it. Says, I've practiced this. I've been in the situation before at training, so I'm just going to do it. And you've got the confidence and the and the belief in yourself to 
make that big play under that, you know, under that pressure. So, yeah, I like that. I think that's an interesting sort of confrontation at the moment in coaching that that sort of more statistical-based strategic play against a slightly more uh, technical approach to, okay, or, and almost mental approach as well that says, okay, how am I going to execute in this pressure moments? That's, that's, that's a lot you have to structure in practice, right? And in training and, and especially like doing the randomized events. So how do you, how do you think about like trying to construct an environment and training where you are training for some of those, like, as you put it, random events that are happening on the, on the pitch? You create the basic ground rules of a training drill per se, and then you try not to structure it too much. So I think because if you do structure it too much, those random events won't occur. And then what you, you need to do is encourage your players to execute the skills that they have, all the skills in their arsenal, not just the ones that you like as a coach, and not have a fear of failure putting them out there at training because that's where they'll learn to adjust and get it right when it when it counts and encourage that approach because it's the learning process, it's the process of discovery that players come across that I, as the coach, can never tell them because I could never be in that situation. I'm If I look at a player like Brian O'Driscoll, well, uh, sorry, I'm 110 kilo number eight who played 30, 40 years ago. I'm never going to understand what he's trying to do in that situation. And I think anyone who pretends that they do, unless you've been there before and you're at that, at that elk, you're the same class, what you can do is help the player get in a situation where they can practice that, you know, and almost see the parts of the game where say this this is more likely to happen here. Or it, this, you know, it, when these set of circumstances occur, this could be an opportunity to execute that skill. So a bit more randomised training, but with a, with a sort of set of ground rules around what it looks like. That also can link into the physical performance side as well. If we're talking about things like, okay, what are the peak game uh, markers or indicators? What's, what's happening in the game physically when it's at its absolute hardest? And how can we replicate that at training? You know, what, what you're hitting on here is like, I mean, is honestly, is like one of the hardest things that coaches have to, I think across all sports, balance out, which is we have a game plan for this week. We need to practice that game plan. We need to set our training up this week um, in a way that makes sure that we get all the repetitions with the way that we believe someone's going to defend against us or try and, you know, score against us. But you still want to get enough repetitions of, at game speed and at as realistic as possible. And, and then that's where the randomness kind of comes into, but you got to get it all in and you only have X number of hours throughout the day. It's like, it's like this, you're getting to like one of the hardest things that coaches have to try and balance as far as setting the environment for training. I think that comes into you, you, how you periodize your season, not just physically, but technically as well. So I've practiced these small, so that, the structural stuff you're talking about that you want to have repetitions of, that's built up of a series of parts that you are practicing all the time, passing, tackling, whatever it might be, kicking. There's a, a, a myriad of skills that they're always, you know, they've done it thousands and thousands of times. And it's just putting those skills together in a certain format. So the number one thing to get, I, I believe, right, in, in, just for me, is to make sure that, 
players understand what it is you're trying to to achieve and what it looks like uh, before they go and do it because then they can visualize it in their head understand once they understand it it's easier for them to visualize how they can be a part of that and then maybe you don't need as many reps at training because they've got the skills they understand how it needs to be executed i would take it to a play that occurred if i go really into this in the year it would have been in 2009 when i was coaching with leinster and we had a move you know a set piece play organized uh, we're playing semi-final of the european cup huge crowd eighty thousand people etc and we ran the play. The opposition did something that we didn't expect during the play. And there was a, an adjust, a random adjustment on the field of the position of one player, how he changed his position and adjusted to the circumstance. Nothing that we'd ever practiced. And it led, to this, uh, it led to a try from, you know, or a score from way out because of an adjustment that was made on the run. So that comes from understanding the overall scheme. Uh, when you understand the scheme, then you can you can make the adjustments on the field because you don't ever know exactly what the opposition is going to bring, even though you can analyse. You, you're always just assuming that they're going to bring that from past history and then you've got to you know, assess it on the field to make sure that, it's, that it is happening and you're sort of doing that automatically. You don't really get the chance to a helicopter over and say, okay, well, no, they're not doing this today, so we'll try something different. You've got to get that done on the run. So the more you can make that happen in a training environment, it's more likely it is to happen um, in a game. Randomness kind of feels different than, than risk-taking, I guess. And, the, the, you know, the, I think there's a conversation to better around that. I mean, what's your attitude to players taking risks during games? Um, and how does how do you look to provide that space for kind of creativity and initiative? Because I think they are two separate things, aren't they? I'd, 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 I'd how do you mean? What, what's two separate things, creativity and Risk taking, risk taking, and you know, uh, infl- and, you know, encouraging risk taking in games. You know, that spare at the moment. Well, I think um, the, the thing is different than the the preempted randomness. I guess, if you were. Yes, definitely, without a doubt, randomness is a situation that's caused by others. Right, you can be a part of that situation, but the other factors that are in the game are co- cause randomness. Risk taking is it's about decision making. Okay, now. The number one thing, and, and the first thing when you say to me about risk-taking, I think, is, okay, so what a risk means to you and what a risk means to me could be two totally different things. So we must clarify inside of our group or our organisation what do we think a risk is because I can tell you now one of the great rugby league players here, a guy, Andrew Johns, he's not gonna he's going to assess what a risk is totally different to um, perhaps a front rower whose job is totally different. You know, Mark Carroll, who would run the ball hard and be very physical, whereas he's got a different... Andrew Johns might have a totally different view on the game. So what we need to understand, there's two ways of looking at this. So you either can set a common thought process around it or definition, what we think risk is, or you understand each player at their own level and what they can bring. You know, some... uh, If a player two players doing a flick pass, let's just use that as an example, as risk, even though it's not really, but let's let's say it is, or a, or a trick pass of some sort. If you're skillful enough to execute that in a certain ratio out of 10 times, let's say, well, it's not really a risk, is it? 
But if the ratio is lower for a different type of player because he hasn't got that skill set, well, then it, it might be a risk. It's about players understanding what they can do. Like we went circle back to this exact discussion we were having before about, okay, I've practiced this. I've got it in my arsenal. Well, I can use it in the pressure situation and therefore it's not a risk at all. And if it doesn't come off, that doesn't mean it was risky. Right? So that means that we didn't execute and we'll get back up and execute the next time You know, when that situation occurs. Doing things that you haven't practiced and prepared for, they could be considered that that could be considered risky, maybe. But it's yeah. about setting a definition inside of your team. Most importantly, for or however you want to run that, it could be through the individual. So everyone understands what risk is, because I'd be a risk taker uh, in what I consider to be a risk taker in the game, uh, coaching from a coaching point of view, but. I don't feel it's risky because we've practiced most of those things. And, yes, sometimes they work and maybe sometimes they don't. But that doesn't mean that they were risky if they didn't work. That means you didn't execute them well enough. Just pivot pivot slightly again. You obviously mentioned Andrew Johns there, which is a great rugby league player, which is the the world you find yourself in now. So you were with the Wallabies for five years and... You know, and, and now you've worked with three different organisations in the space of a few months, where you know with the Pumas for a bit, and then switching codes to league uh, with the, with the Roosters, a bit of time with Trent Robinson there, and now you've got the Lebanon job, which I know you're very excited about. Um, tell us a bit about you know why you've taken that job and, and what it means to you. Now, after the World Cup, I think uh, of rugby in 2019, and you know, I took some a, a bit of time off to reflect on my own performance over the time or, or the more recent time, maybe the year or two before, and address the things that I thought I could get better at and start to address those things and work on those. Then I really wanted to get outside of my comfort zone, you know. So the opportunity to do coaching with the Roosters was definitely that. For sure, like it created a whole, it was almost like the first day back at school often, you know, when you're talking to players, et cetera, because, you know, the first time I actually sat, stood up in front of the team and talked about some things on a video they were watching, it was quite nerve-wracking because you're in a totally different space. You're well outside of your, you know, what you, what you really know, even though you know the game, it's what you really know um, and you've done for 20 years and put myself in a situation where I knew that I'd be tested to, and I had to get up to, this is not just, you know, any team, it's the team, it's the champions, you've got to be at a certain level and bring something to contribute straight away. Secondly, it's the first time I've ever been in a role where I wasn't the head coach. So that in itself was very different for me. And then um, the opportunity to go with Argentina presented a, a different challenge again. Okay, so I've done the part where I wasn't going to be the, the, it was again not being the head coach and I had to play a very different role in there than I would have ever before. But then also I had to pitch up against my own country which was very difficult. So, I, you know, and now with the opportunity with Lebanon, I think, number one, it's the opportunity to test myself in a World Cup. It's not just a, a, a game here or there. You know, you, you're going to, you could be involved in coaching. You're going to be the head coach of a team that's going to be at the World Cup. And uh, I've had that experience, been a brilliant experience for me in rugby union twice. And yeah, I want to challenge myself 
to make not to see if they can transfer over, to make sure that the skills that a head coach or a leadership style coaching that I, I would be the type of person that's in, that's more more my style will work across multiple codes, not just in my game, in a game that I've got to get knowledge on, yes, and I've got to have other people around me who have got excellent knowledge in that game, but I can also lead those players and provide a a part of the leadership model uh, that I believe in to those players so that they can overperform when it comes to that big stage, you know, and I think that's really exciting. The fact that it's the country, obviously this because it's the country of my parents' birth and heritage. You know, I'm a very proud Australian Lebanese person and it, it, it's obviously a nation that's had a lot of a lot of adversity over a lot of years. And I've been there many times and I've seen how they live uh, and I really think that a chance for them to be on the world stage in sport, they're very rare for those people to just have the people who might be living there who know nothing about the game at all but might just have that half an hour or an hour watching a game on TV where Lebanon's playing as a national team. It's very rare for them. We take it for granted in our, I know definitely here, we've got you know, national team, soccer, swimming, basketball. We've got, we've got everything, you know. So we get to sing the anthem a lot and do all that type of thing. They don't get that opportunity very often and and I felt that if I could contribute some way to my heritage then this might be a, a good way a good opportunity to do that brilliant Michael so to, to end this we, we, we ask the same questions to all, all our guests um, and it's really just some recommendations on 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 things that they've you know they've read or they've or listened to or, or they watched is there any kind of book podcast or or show recommendation that you've or had a lot of time over the last 12 months, haven't we? You know, is there anything that you recommend to, to the listeners? And that could be to do with leadership or sport, or it could actually be some sort of brain candy if you want that just actually helps you get away from it. So I don't know if anything springs to mind. Oh, yeah, I think what if I, if I look away from the sporting field for a minute, I was, from a visual point of view, I love a series on Netflix called The Defiant Ones, which mm. is about, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, it's about Dr. Dre and Jimmy and how they went from the music production side of things into creating beats. And what was in particularly interesting about it was how the breadth of talent that they worked with. So a guy like Dr. Dre, who's most known for rap and the, where their origins are, but went across a broad spectrum. Same with Jimmy Oveen, who produced a certain type early in his career as a producer, but the breadth of talent that they work with, the different styles of, of singers, you know, from Bruce Springsteen, U2, to um, Snoop uh, and uh, Eminem. It was just crazy how they were able to diversify into different cultural sort of themes, all from music. Uh, excellent story, you know what I mean? They were, um, it, it's something totally away from sport. I haven't been much into the podcasting world, but through a, a new, um, it's a, a leadership uh, education series we're doing, I was asked to host some podcasts. So I'll give myself a random plug here. Uh, so <laughs> I, I did, uh, it was it was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever had to do. After, I was uncomfortable <laughs> answering the question, but when I had to ask them and then create the conversation, it's called On the Record. So I did it with um, the seven well, I did actually one with Brian, so they're not all Australian, with Brian O'Driscoll. I did one yep. with, with Michael Gervais, who's uh, uh, from the Seattle Seahawks. 
Yeah. Uh, with Alan Jones, one of the big broadcasters here in Australia with uh, a, a fashion designer here in Australia, very famous fashion designer, Nikki Zimmerman. With Lisa Alexander, who's a, a, a Australian Diamonds netball coach who is yeah, she's brilliant, yeah. um, getting into men's AFL coaching, transferring the heads, uh, head coach skills over there. Really interesting story. So I've done uh, Sarah Wilson, who's a, a philanthropist here, a different range of people and had to ask the questions. It was it was excruciatingly difficult <laughs> for me, but extremely enjoyable because you have those, uh, I suppose I've only ever really listened, I haven't even listened to my own, I don't think, because I'm too scared to hear my accent on the, <laughs> on the podcast. But uh, it was a really interesting having to go outside my domain and, you know, have in-depth conversation with people who are experts and leaders in different fields. So that was, it was good to do. I sort of understand a little bit more why people are into the podcasting too. So it's bit, uh, it's definitely so many good stories out there that can be told. It's not just by people who are in the know or celebs and all that stuff. There's good stories out there that people can learn from everywhere. And I think the podcasting world's showing that right now, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll definitely listen to that. I didn't realise you're doing it, and you know, uh, I'll, I'll add that to to my playlist. And, and thanks for coming on and uh, li- listening. Uh, uh, sorry, answering the questions as well. It's uh, definitely a different role, but yeah, real, real pleasure to have you on. And uh, thanks for giving us the time. Hopefully, um, life will be a bit back to normal by the time the World Cup comes around, and we can catch up in London when you're over here. So, uh, best with the Lebanon job, um, and you will stay in touch and, and, and speak to you soon. Great stuff. Thank you. That's it for another episode, but if you've enjoyed these podcasts, you can find many more like it on the Leaders Content Hub as well as on Spotify, iTunes or your preferred platform. Check us out at Leaders underscore Insights on Twitter as well as all our content will be posted on there. Michael spoke at our event back in Los Angeles in 2017, so if you want to watch that session and access all the other content and videos as well as our virtual learning events and also engage with over 700 members from 150 teams in 25 countries and 20 sports worldwide, and head over to leadersinsport.com forward slash performance to learn more about the home of Total High Performance. Thanks to our podcast sponsor, Kaiser, who, as I said earlier, are the main partners of the Leaders Performance Institute. They've been leading the way in exercise equipment for 40 years and more than 80% of the top professional sports teams in the world now put their trust in them. If you want to join them, then get in touch with us and one of the Leaders team can make an intro to one of their team. Alternatively, head to kaiser.com to find out more. Once again, thank you to John, Luke and all the content team behind the scenes for making this all possible. And thank you to you for all listening. We hope you're enjoying these conversations. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon.